gonna tell me what you're chewing on? I just don't know if love is enough anymore. What do you mean enough? I mean, even if Sarah and I do love each other, maybe we did need more time to get to know each other. So, what you're saying here is, you had a couple of bad days in Europe, and it's over. Time to grow up, Tommy. Some days your mother and me loved each other. Other days we had to work at it. You never see the hard days in a photo album, but those are the ones that get you from one happy snapshot to the next. I'm sorry your honeymoon stunk, but that's what you got dealt. Now you got to work through it. Sarah doesn't need a guy with a fat wallet to make her happy. I saw how you love this girl, how you two lit each other up. She doesn't need any more security than that. Thanks, Dad. Is it over? Not even close. Isn't it true that we don't have pictures of the hard days in our photo albums? One of the pictures I do have is of our wedding over 19 years ago, 19 years this year. What's strange about the picture, other than that that I have hair, (laughs) is that there are two chairs sitting there. And they were there because Kim could not stand for the whole service. She was too weak. About two weeks before our wedding, she got chicken pox. And then little did she know she had some complications. And as we came into town about a week before our wedding, walking in about 12 o'clock at night, and I hear thump, and Kim has passed out in my parents' house on the floor. So the ambulance takes her to the emergency room, and the doctors say she was hours away from irreversible shock, and that if we did not bring her at the time that we did, she would not be alive. So on that day, I was so excited that she... She was just alive. And during the week, she received four pints of blood. So by about Wednesday or Thursday, she started feeling a little bit better. And she started reminding the doctors of, hey, I'm supposed to get married on Saturday. And can I go? Can I go? Well, they didn't want her to go, and we signed some forms and said, you can't leave the country, and you got to get your blood levels tested every day. So the honeymoon was out the door, but that day... I didn't care because she was alive and we were getting married. And I remember saying our vows, I, Rob, take you, Kim, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold in sickness and in health. And I lost it. The pictures don't show it, but in our video, my chin is going like 80 miles an hour and the tears are just flowing. It was a special day and I have pictures of those days. But what I don't have a picture of is just a few months later, where Kim found herself sitting in a studio apartment in Washington, D.C., as I worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week, writing software. And she's thinking, is this what our marriage is going to be about? I mean, I thought that the pastor said Rob would pledge his loyalty to me. And I feel like he's pledging his loyalty to this piece of software. I don't have pictures of those days. And she was sitting there thinking, 
Where am I in this whole picture? Well, this morning we're starting the second message in a series called Love Affair. And we're going to talk about working through the difficulties in relationships. Now, some of you may be at a point in your marriage where you're saying something like Tommy said at the beginning of this video. I am not sure that love is enough anymore. I'm just not sure. And you may feel unloved. You may not feel cherished. You may not feel honored, but instead you feel disconnected from your spouse. You feel unimportant because everything else is of more importance than you. You may feel that your opinion just doesn't matter because it's more about the other person. And you may be at the point where you're saying, I'm not sure about this covenant thing. It's just too much work right now. And so before we get started, I want to just raise two things for us. One is, don't ignore the circumstance. Don't ignore your situation. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, he said, listen, a family and a town splintered by feud will be torn apart. Don't let that just happen. Pay attention to what's going on. And also, my prayer is it's so easy in circumstances like this to look at the size of the problem and have that be the only thing that we see. But my prayer for all of us is that we would seek God out and see his magnitude in our circumstance. And I want to be clear up front here, too, when we're talking about working in relationships. Some of you find yourself in an abusive relationship, emotionally and physically. And what I don't want you to hear this morning is work is all about hanging in there and continuing to get battered. That is not what I'm saying. Work is getting yourself safe, getting your family safe, and learning what true love is all about. By looking at passages like 1 Corinthians 13 and seeing the qualities of love. And then looking at passages like Ephesians 5 so that you can redefine what a loving husband is, what a loving wife is, and what the characteristics of that kind of relationship is all about. I also realize that some of you are divorced and remarried, divorced and still single. Today is not about dredging up the past. It's about moving forward in the relationships that we are in. And we just talked about how we've experienced being wronged in relationships, right? And we can't escape relationships because we're relational beings. That's just the way God created us. So at some point, we have all felt misunderstood. We felt hurt by somebody else. We felt that our trust has been violated by somebody else. So right from the start, we've just got to level set ourselves that relationships are messy. This side of heaven, they are going to be messy. We're going to experience the highs, but we're going to experience the lows as well. And I know some of you are saying, why? Why do we need to experience the bad stuff? Well, Donnie started to talk about it last week, and he used the Romans 3.23 passage, that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I know I do wrong, but I don't like to think about it. The Bible says, When we follow our sinful nature, we should expect these things to happen. I like the way Galatians 5.19 puts it. It says, when we follow our sinful nature, the results are very clear. 
impurity, jealousy, anger, dissension, division. So we are fooling ourselves if we think that our sin plays no part in the work in our relationships because it does. I think the real miracle with relationships is that they work as well as they do. That's got to be a God thing. So what are we to do? I mean, if we have these two selfish people that come together, what can we expect? Well, we can expect some discouragement and some disillusionment, right? Because the other person a lot of times fails to meet our expectations because they're thinking more about themselves instead of you. And so a question that we have for each of us today is are we trying to live our life based on our own personal desires, our own leadership? Or are we inviting God in to lead our life based on his purposes? That's a question all of us have got to answer. Because when we flip-flop it, when we choose to be the only one leading our life and we try to drag God along or never invite him into our life to lead it, then those are the times that we experience the work and the hiccups in our marriages, and in our relationships. I like what Jesus said in John 17. It gives us insight in what he expects of our relationships. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world would believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one, I in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So right before Jesus was arrested and crucified, what did he choose to pray about? That we would be united, and that we would be united in such a way that he and the Father are united. You see, our marriages and our relationships speak volumes to the world about God, good or bad. And so, not only does Jesus challenge me here to be unselfish in my relationship with Kim, but he's saying I should care enough about my marriage and my relationship because of what it says about God. And I think, how am I ever going to do that? How am I going to have that desire and actually accomplish that? Well, in verse 23, it says, by God in us. And when we accept Christ, that's what the Bible says, his spirit dwells in us. And as you search scriptures and look at what his spirit is all about and his personality, you will land on passages like Galatians 5, that it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, all of which are required ingredients for unity, isn't it? So if we are ever to have the unity in our relationships that God is calling us to have, we're going to have to lean on the power of God to do that. And so a question for all of us is, do we have that power to lean on? Do we have a relationship with him? Can we go to him? Some of you may be saying, yeah, hold on here. I'm a believer in Christ. And my marriage is still messed up. What do you have to say about that, Rob? One is, whose perspective are you using? Your own or God's? And have you truly 
invited God into your life to make some changes? Have you made your marriage truly dependent on him? I like what C.S. Lewis said in his book of letters. He says, When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. In so far as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed. They are increased. Where is God on your priority list? Do you talk to him every day? Do you pull out the scriptures and read what he has to say about you and your life? Is being a Christian more than just Sunday, but is it a way of life? God calls us to put him first in our life. And he calls us to a different set of standards and qualities. And a text that I want to look at for the remainder of the message is Philippians 2, 1 through 5. Paul says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ has. And Paul is saying, listen, if Christ has had any impact on your life, if he's meant anything to you, then your life ought to impact others in the same way. Our marriages and our relationships ought to be different because of Christ in our own lives. And God is calling us to stop being selfish and to work together to have one purpose in mind and to love one another. Are your relationships marked by those qualities? And you may be saying, whoa, that's not even possible. You don't know my situation, my circumstance. And there may be valid reasons for that. And there may be valid reasons biblically for you considering breaking the covenant. But far too many times, people break the covenant for selfish reasons, where they fail to look at themselves and start to examine themselves to see what God wants to do in them. And they never invite God into their relationship, into their marriage, to do some house cleaning and start to do some restoration. And so we really need to do what Paul says in that Philippians verse, and that is to have the attitude of Christ. And if relationships here on earth are going to be made up of imperfect people, then right from the start, we can just expect our spouse to fail. Just expect that right from the beginning. Before we read in Romans 3.23, right? It said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But let's keep reading. It says, and we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, we have a relationship with Christ because of an unmerited, undeserved gift that God gave us in Christ. It was his grace that gave us that. And so Philippians 2 kind of rings home here because Paul is saying, did Christ encourage you? Did he love you? Did he comfort you? Well, you didn't deserve that, 
but you're enjoying it. So he's saying in the context of our marriages and in our relationships, are we extending that same environment of grace in our relationships and marriages? You see, that is fundamental given the frailties that we all bring to relationships. Now, there's something else that goes along with grace. When we accepted Christ and we believed in him, what happened? We were forgiven. Okay? And so Philippians 2 raises this question. Hey, are you comforted at all by the forgiveness that you have in Christ? Then why don't you extend that forgiveness to your spouse? Why don't you ask for that forgiveness? Imagine what relationships would be like if we didn't expect the person to be perfect. And if we were forgiving one another. There may be consequences, but imagine if we were forgiving one another. It would actually make a reality loving one another, having one purpose and one goal in mind and working together. Perhaps we could do that. But there's a trap with forgiveness. And we all may have done it ourselves or had somebody done it to us. And that is where you do something wrong and you ask for forgiveness. Only to do that same thing again and ask for forgiveness over and over and over again. And what does that do? That just erodes the trust that the other person has in you. Paul says in Romans six fifteen through 16, Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. If we're continually asking for forgiveness, the person doesn't see a changed spouse. They see the same selfish person. And so if we're going to have this unity that God calls us to, we are going to have to be willing to change. When we believed, we repented as well. And the Greek word for repent means to turn about, to change one's mind. That was not a one-time thing that we were to do. That is something that we are continually going to have to do, especially in our relationships. And so it's going to take your obedience in order to change. And if you find yourself in this pattern over and over again of asking for forgiveness, then seek wise counsel. Go to a family member, a friend, a pastor, a counselor, and ask them to help you see what God calls you to do in this situation to see your role in it and start to get on a road of change. Now, I understand that we're all responsible for our own actions, right? You can do these things only to have the other person not reciprocate one bit. We can offer that environment of grace. We can ask for forgiveness. We can change ourselves, and the person doesn't even flinch. We need to remind ourselves why we're doing those things. We do them First and foremost, because that's what God calls us to do. And out of obedience, we do those things. It would certainly be nice, because I know inside I want that to be reciprocated to me. But first and foremost, we need to be doing it out of obedience to what God calls us to do in our relationships. After talking about all of this this morning, you may be saying, Rob, you're asking me to see God in my circumstance, and I'm struggling to even see him. And you're asking me to take seriously the words in Scripture. 
and you don't know my circumstance. I mean, it's too far gone. And I'm thinking what you're saying is perhaps more fantasy than it is reality. I want to introduce you here at the close to Brian and Don LaShore, who go to this church who are sitting here right now. They found their marriage in a place they thought it would never be. One wanted out, and the other one was left trying to understand. And it seemed hopeless. But instead of me telling you the story, I want them to share a little bit with you. Yeah, from my perspective, you know, I came home one afternoon, and Dawn was upset. And basically, it, the beginning of the conversation was she didn't know she didn't love me anymore. I never thought, honestly, Rob, that I would ever get to a point where I would check out of my marriage either. Help me here. God's going to help me do this. And the whole time, I'm pointing my fingers at her. You need to get faith. You need to do this. You need to do that. And relation that, you know, this is not about Dawn. This is about you. It's about me. Okay? It's about me dealing with God. I've got some issues here that I need to be dealing with. I have not been the husband that God has called me to be. You know, and I need to begin to address that. I wanted to fight for this marriage, and that's what I did. so hard to go my own way that I almost missed it. Mm-hmm. And thank God I didn't. Mm-hmm. Turn and look at myself mm-hmm. and look at what changes does Dawn need to make. truly saw God's love demonstrated through Brian. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, that was probably the most incredible thing that God showed me was Here's a person, here's a human being who's exemplifying what Christ is. said to myself, how can I turn my back on that? began to see difference in me. So God was working in both of our lives, but I wasn't going to change her, and she wasn't going to change me. You know, we had to each individually look to God and allow Him to work at changing ourselves individually so that we became the man and the woman that God wants us to be for one another. I will not forget the night that Dawn called me. Almost eight months to the day, I was pumping gas, heading over to our brother and sister-in-law's. And, you know, I answered the phone. I saw it was her, and she was talking a little bit. And then uh, so I said, what's up? She said, well, I think this is the phone call you've been waiting on. And I didn't know how to take that. I, I didn't know where she was coming from with that. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, I think this is the phone call you've been waiting on. I'm ready to come home. And it's like everything for that whole eight-month period of time that God had showed me and talked to me about and, and helped me to understand it just all of a sudden is just right there. Yeah, grace demonstrated uh, because he didn't have to do any of it. We had led lives that were selfish. And uh, by his grace, we were both able to see that and to begin to pursue him through our different journeys. And he honored that and, uh, and brought us back together. Most of that is that you can't give up hope. God is going to honor in some way your faith that he's going to help you work things out. It's like, you know, God was working. He was working in our lives. He was doing something there and, and growing. He was answering prayers, to be honest, you know, because we wanted to be godly people. Well, it takes a lot of work to take us from that point to his point, you know? And this was just one episode, so. Your circumstance is different. You are different. But God is the same. And so this morning, I just pray that you would bring the realities of your marriage and your relationships to God. Bring your desire to change 
Bring the realistic picture that you don't have a desire for your spouse. Bring that to God. Be willing to change. And my prayer is that you would see not the size of the problem, but the magnitude of his presence in your circumstance.